0: Another episode of Room of Requirements Our podcast for soul care and resistance in the time of Trump Uh, With your hosts Miracle Jones
1: And Kamalesh Rao This is episode 9 So thanks
0: for joining us Uh, So how you been man? Not bad Not not really (laughs) (laughs) Got drunk with some friends Uh, Watched The Young Pope no, oh. and, uh, and uh, the Archie show, Riverdale, Riverdale, yeah. I recommend watching back to back. They compliment each other. Really? <laughs> right? Okay. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Have you been eating well? yeah I have been I've been yep. eating a lot of pasta and that's something that's like one of the things that's like an ancillary effect of exercising is your appetite improves yeah and you're hungrier I think for healthier things.
1: Well, yeah I mean one could argue that pasta is not necessarily the healthiest food you could eat. Yesterday I actually got pretty sick uh, for off of eating something I ate on uh, the day before. Um, so my wife went shopping for stuff that I could eat that was a little lighter and she decided that we could finally, allow bread and pasta into the house because normally we don't keep that stuff around <laughs> the staff of life yeah. well, you'll understand that yeah. at some point your metabolism slows so you just can't eat I will pasta never understand <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah, I God bless you but uh, this is coming from a
0: Asian household <laughs> so, uh, my mom is like 5 feet tall and weighs like 80 pounds <laughs> I'm like <a> giant already <laughs>
1: um, yeah so yeah. my dad I think when he came to this country I think he was 27 years old and I think he weighed 100 pounds and so he's my height so 5'7 five five right, yeah word. yeah yeah but I mean he spent most of his life
0: starving so, <laughs> right. so Bruce Lee was 5'7 and 120 pounds—the deadliest man that I've ever lived. <laughs>
1: yeah, according to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, we don't allow pasta in the house. Um, uh, we do. Uh, there's a brief, uh, a brief relaxation of the rules, uh, so uh, I get a little better, but. Um, yeah, pasta may not be the healthiest of foods. i will not here. It. <laughs> it is the healthiest with you know some
0: sauce on there, like right. vegetables in there, mushrooms.
1: Yeah, if I, if the thirty um, year old me heard the forty two year old me saying that, he would stab himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stab himself. Um, at some point, I actually I had um, years ago uh, uh, I was. Um, I had some stomach illness. I don't get stomach illness as often, but I, I had a stomach illness, and it, it wouldn't go away. It would, and like, and at some point, we we're just trying to try all these things, and uh, nothing was working. And at some point, my wife suggested to me, she's like, "Oh well, do you think it may be, uh, you may be allergic to gluten or something like that?" And I said, "If this turns out to be a gluten allergy, or if I'm glute, if I can't eat gluten anymore, just shoot me." <laughs> and that's it. that's, that's it. it. I don't want to. I don't want to go on living, preferably after like a large. Bowl, one last possible yeah. 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 yeah um but yeah yeah so you've been eating you've been exercising you've been taking care of the basics right yeah 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 you know, I huh? mean
0: you know how about you yeah
1: I mean I, I just had I had a rough uh, day or two um so I'm recovering from that but in general I think we've been eating pretty well um, you, look, you look healthy I, I, mean. I try to I try to I try to maintain um I, we talked a little bit about this but I think a there's a fair amount of job stress on both sides of, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Maybe, do, you t- do you talk about politics at work? Uh, uh, rarely, rarely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think uh, with work, I actually I, I know a fair number of conservatives, mm-hmm. and so like and people I really like actually are are going to be fairly conservative. So I haven't talked post election actually. So
0: uh, it will be. Uh, should that come up, I think it would be interesting. Do you think power dynamics At people's workplaces Shift as a result of Like electoral success For one party or the other
1: Well I come from The business world And so the business world Is at best ambivalent Towards Trump So like There may be a Trumpian Mm -hmm. in the midst but it's not like it's not like the communist party or the nazi party you don't have like a a party representative at like these big fortune 500 companies and like any one of these companies you know once you start talking about like throwing up barriers to trade and immigration (laughs) they're like uh i used to be really close with a data engineer who was really conservative like really really conservative Uh, he died a number of years ago uh, which was sad in terms of losing a friend, but also I, I'm sad that I don't get to talk to him about elections. He was a good friend of mine. We got along really well, but like he was, he was, he really backed Sarah Palin. And, Whoa. and so I was like, oh, if only I had Chris, because it was just good to talk to him. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, he, I would like to think I, I moved him in one way, and then mm-hmm. he would, you know, he would also make me see the other way. So uh, unfortunately, Chris is no longer uh, with us. But uh. okay, job stress. And politics stress and, and life stress, one of the things that I find helpful is escapism mm-hmm. right and, yeah. so, um, and how you check out. And so like I mean it's actually like and it's a it's a weird thing to counterbalance because I think uh, lives are busy, especially if you live in New York, you're like, oh, okay, I can't spend any time doing something stupid like watching soap operas on the CW. but I find it really helpful and I found <laughs> like one of the things about like, like uh, the last day or so, because I was sick, was I would just I would just watch TV. So I just watched a lot of like Bob's Burgers on, on Netflix. So I was wondering if you had like a little ritual around escapism, but
0: you do a fair amount of reading, right? Yeah, I read a bunch, and you know did. They, they, I write too, so when I want to escape, I can retreat into like a elaborately crafted fantasy world of my own making. Yeah. uh. The problem is that is that it's hard. I mean, it requires like uh, brain cycles or whatever. So I feel like my life is pretty easy. Like I have a pretty easy life, honestly. So, you know that that's that's a and that's by design. Yeah. I'm, I'm a I'm the last. Gen Xer, so I,
1: I'm <laughs> a slacker
0: at <to> heart. <laughs> I'm always trying to like get less responsibility, but yeah. as you get older, it's foisted on you whether you like Damn it or them. not. Damn them! It really, it really sucks. It's just like, well, you're old here. Have some responsibility. It's like, fuck you, man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So that that my escapism is kind of literal escapism, just no. attempting to like avoid people and entanglements. All right. <laughs> um.
1: All right. So let's move on to politics. The way that I think about politics in the era of Trump is like what's being covered and what isn't hasn't been covered. Um, so again, we keep talking about um, one topic. I think it's also because um, it's a topic that the Trump administration can make a lot of noise about or make a lot of um, apparent movement about. Um, without necessarily going through Congress, and that's immigration, right? So uh, you can en- enact a lot of change, I think, in the policy um, just through executive orders. Um, and this is a pattern that was established actually years ago, and partly through Obama's own willingness to go through executive orders in order to change immigration policy on the ground. But uh, yeah, I think, again, uh, immigration has been in the news this week, and um, Starting with the rates, right? Yeah. It's uh, really disheartening. Um, It hasn't really affected our neighborhood or at least the communities that I know of. But it is disheartening to think about people who effectively are being either prepared for deportation or being processed in some ways just because they happen to come up on a government search for something like drunk driving, right? So anyone with any sort of run-in with the law now is susceptible or is in some ways more likely to be caught in the federal dragnet.
0: and to the extent that overstaying your visa is itself breaking the law they want to get us to conceptualize the idea that everybody is a lawbreaker who's in the
1: right all all illegal immigration is a criminal mm-hmm. right um, which is technically true, but I think a lot of our society and a lot of factions within society have been willing to turn at least some sort of blind eye to it because, because of the fact that we recognize that they make a, an important contribution to our society and our economy. I mean, and Obama did expand the power or the precedent for, for the executive to, to dictate facts on the ground, how we were going to enforce
0: it. But notably with the support of the famous Gang of Eight. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't alone there. There were some conservatives who crossed the aisle.
1: Yeah, just... so there there has been, a, there was a push before Trump to try to come up with some sort of compromise. There would have to be some tit-for-tat for border security uh, and then a path towards um, some sort of naturalization or some sort of legal process that would allow for people who have been in the country for a long time to have in any way been criminal or engaged in any sort of criminal activity to pursue something like citizenship or some sort of legal status. It's not clear where that is. Um, Some people would say that it's dead. I don't know if it's dead. There's some news even today that maybe they're talking about some move towards legalization,
0: but I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, if the current rhetoric surrounding illegal immigration was conjoined with some sort of Romney style or George Bush Jr. style compassionate conservatism around the benefits of legal immigration, it would be easier to stomach some of these policies. In general, it's very clear yeah. that the administration has set
1: up that the idea that people from outside the United mm-hmm. States are not welcome. and. They have, become, uh, they have become a burden to our country. They are a threat to our country. So anyone who is an immigrant is effectively an outsider that threatens our way of life. It's so the very aesthetically driven uh, administration, at least the tight circle that, that surrounds Trump. Um, and I think that's why they liked Trump is because even before he was really running, he had a very kind of strong, instinctive, anti-immigrant bent. And again, just sort of demonizing people who have come to this country to work, um, who do add a lot to our society, add a lot to our economy, and it, it's a real shame. I think, effectively, a race into dark territory. What we worry about are things that sh- that can change, as opposed to things that can are e- can easily change should the Congress or the presidency flip. And I think this attitude towards immigration or how we define what it is America. I think that attitude um, and that perspective has changed for an, into an uglier, more. Hateful kind of outlook And I think I don't know how long That will take to change back If it will change back
0: What bothers me about it On a philosophical level Is The ideas of America The constitution yeah. the Human rights The amendments we have Aren't these things We want for everybody yeah. Aren't these things We wish everybody Had access to yeah. And to the extent That human rights abuses are And countries are Nationalizing up All over the world Wouldn't we welcome People who are hungry For this yeah. And even To an even greater degree Than we might have before why have we given up on our constitution and its and its benefits to the human race yeah why have we turned our back on the american experiment and said these things are not things worth giving to people to except that we can except that they want them except right. they're we're, we're willing to brave all the bullshit of America in order to get the good parts
1: yeah right and why is it that the, a threat of a small small minority within a minority all of a sudden allows us to outweigh giving benefits or allowing other people to take part in the benefits of American society and the American economy, right? So why why is a country that has been famously welcome and open to other types of people uh, now taking on this outlook that says that people from the outside are now a threat? We will see them primarily as a threat, not as an extension of the American promise. It's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Trump has said that he is going to clear funds or try to build up uh, uh, or hire an additional, what, five to 10,000 people working for the uh, Customs and Border Patrol, and effectively this is... This is the deportation force. I can't imagine you don't need another five to ten thousand people on the border itself with Mexico, right? I think this is the deportation force that he promised he wouldn't do, or he wouldn't enact. And if, and what are five to ten thousand people going to be doing? They're going to be engaging in raids. This is one of those things where once you start to increase the bureaucracy, it's very mm-hmm. hard to wind it down. What's scary about the Customs and Border Patrol? Um, this is true for anyone who's actually had to go through customs, and uh, if you're brown, is. They are among the more racist people you will meet. Oh, like, sure. um, So, like, the more, like, especially in New York, uh, like, the more, uh, I think the most offensive things I've heard just in, like, in New York City on a casual basis, like, unapologetic, is waiting in line for customs coming from a foreign country. Because um, they'll just, it's just, uh, like, a lot of, like, why do they even bother to come to our country? And I'm like, you're part of Border
0: Patrol. There should be some sense of welcoming, right? Is there is there a way that this can be fought through the courts. I mean, not the federal courts, but the the lawsuits.
1: Well, there's a real need for accountability. Because I think this is a part of bureaucracy that instinctively is going to be loyal to Trump's initiatives. Mm. right? Because I think if you're a part of Border Patrol... And I I don't want to paint them all as racist. That's absolutely not true. Uh, But I think if you're part of Border Patrol and your job is to weed out threats, you're going to be hypersensitive to threats from the outside. Mm. And I think from whatever I've read, people in the bureaucracy of the CBP, Customs and Border Patrol, um, are really energized by Trump because that's how they see the world. So this is going to be a part of the bureaucracy that is instinctively or ideologically loyal to him, and he's building that up. Um, And it's sort of an echo of what we talked about, say, um, with the FBI, how there is an outlook there within the institution that makes them loyal to certain parts or certain factions, maybe the Trump administration or maybe other parts. Uh, or different types of ideology. Same thing with the CIA; they have an ideology and an outlook um, that makes the bureaucracy beholden to certain ways of looking at the world. Um, and I think the CBP is going to have is going to be a very Trumpian part of the bureaucracy, and they're going to be built up, and that's scary. And to your point, I think what's going to happen, and what we really need to do, is think about accountability. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way to measure accountability right now. There's, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I think one of the things that happened that was a really important change in our society is we really started to think towards the late part of the Obama administration for about accountability for police. Um, a lot of body camera talk, uh, a lot of just capturing people on video. You can't effectively do that uh, when you go through customs, and we need to think about how do we open up that process. Uh, and I th- you know, call the data scientists out there, like how do we monitor this? Because uh, it's really important to think about accountability because this is a process that is ripe for abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is absolutely subject to uh, all sorts of uh, prejudices and also just low-level corruption um, based on how much uh, Leeway you give individual border patrol officers, right? Um, and there's no way of monitoring it. Um,
0: so. I mean, in Texas, you can sue individual bartenders if they get you drunk <laughs> and, and you kill somebody. Yeah. You know, that's that's a, a I guess a tort that exists in Texas. <laughs> in my experience, the thing, the, the thing that conservatives fear the most is like being sued. They just fucking uh, hate it. Yeah. They Can't stand it. It makes them crazy. I don't know i mean i think i think starting to file lawsuits against customs and border patrol for yeah discrimination. well you know there was a piece of news that
1: i don't know how much it got circulated muhammad ali's family oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. got checked at the border yeah. um uh, so i think they're coming back from jamaica they're both citizens for sure they're black and they were asked a lot about the religion and their ideology and the kid was born in philadelphia uh this is appalling right I really see this as being a new feature of how we think about immigration now under the Trump administration, it is effectively a very hostile process, especially for people with certain surnames. And this is where big data meets a screening process. You will have uh, a list of suspicious surnames um, that are inevitably Muslim, right? It's just a screening process that is hostile towards uh, a certain religion, and it's just disgusting. Uh, there's absolutely no reason that anyone should go through this, let alone a citizen of the United States coming back to his own country. I mean, this is how it works in the third world. Yeah. Like you have to go through this agency where individual officers are given a lot of discretion. You have to bribe them.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's a really bad sort of subtle change did you want to talk about uh what did get covered such as the media war i guess against trump
1: yeah so i guess it's an ongoing media war between trump um so and i I often think of this as being uninteresting um but i wanted to talk to you or ask you like what do you think trump's relationship with the media is and i'll lead this a little because i actually think
0: it's kind of a codependent relationship where they feed off of each other i've actually been thinking about just to get my mind around trump in different ways like New conceptualizations of Trump. Mm-hmm. The first one being uh, Trump as White OJ. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, you
1: gotta explain because I don't know if he's murdered anymore. <laughs> well, very. <maybe, laughs> we'll see. Nor was
0: he a great athlete. <laughs> well, so you know, I guess the OJ Simpson trial—that's when CNN first got its twenty-four-hour coverage, right? of things. It was it changed it seemed to change the entire media landscape and how we related to each other. It was also a Nexus point that led to like total culture war because everybody was wrong on every side. Like there was (laughs) nobody was right. There were no heroes, you know? We're paying attention to it as everybody was all the time. It just inevitably made you cynical. Yeah. Everybody brought their own sense of justice to it and we were hoping that it, you know, they would get it whether it's like people wanting to see O.J. taken down for beating his wife and perhaps killing his wife, or, you know, people who were mad at the LAPD for their obvious, clear, persistent systemic racism. Yeah, and uh, corruption. And corruption, yeah. yeah, and so, you know, and both, they were both right, like, yeah. you're, you're, you, and nobody was... Yeah. both wrong. <laughs> both wrong, oh, like, right. so, but yeah. it was fought in this proxy war, yeah. you know, this, like, guy who got out of it, yeah. because he was, like, the beneficiary of this proxy war being fought yeah. on his behalf, and he just managed to, like, skate through this yeah. whole thing without anybody you know really laying a finger on him until eventually he was picked up something else yeah. but I feel like Trump is in a similar way here he's benefiting from a lot of cultural war that's being litigated yeah. on his behalf but and against him but without with kind of ignoring the man himself yeah. yeah. and he's able to kind of create this nexus of you know injustice on every side where nobody's really happy and nobody's really getting what they want
1: and at the I, same time, both the, both sides are, are kind of...
0: Wrong. Right. Yeah, and wrong and right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another conceptualization of Trump is... If Abraham Lincoln had been able to do what he set out to do and hold the country together despite massive rifts in the country and ideology, mm-hmm. let's say he'd managed to stay president for eight years, Yeah, who would have followed him? yeah right? Probably Jefferson Davis yeah, right? And then what would have happened and what would the country look like? Right. And I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing happen here, like Obama was too good at papering over some of the divisions that were taking place everywhere, the cracks, the fissures the, and so now we're seeing the resurgent of this minority you know, white identity politics in the country and it's radicalized, it's pissed off it's, it's, got a, it's got a revenge spirit yeah and you know I, I, I don't know what would have happened if Jefferson Davis had taken over after Lincoln I don't know what his plans would have been but I feel like they would have been largely similar if Jefferson Davis had risen after Abraham Lincoln had managed to like qual- you know, get yeah Get an even balance of slave states, and you know sure. he, he would have pushed for a return of the Articles of Confederation. He would have been like, "Enough of this nonsense! Yeah, where if we if we're going to stay together as a country,
1: yeah, I think you're right. It's, I, you know, I'll,
0: yeah, it's gonna have to be under terms there that sure. like eliminate a lot of federal power." Yeah you know what i mean yeah so, absolutely I, I, to the larger you know question of like what is the media's role in all this and you know i just think yeah i think you're right the landscape has changed
1: 100% it's yeah, like yeah. it's a real disruption yeah, yeah. Um, and the media i think it's a particularly good example of a dysfunctional couple that keeps fighting in public <laughs> uh, but at their core i think they really need each other like mm-hmm. i think media was effectively dying or it was certainly declining and you'll see major media companies post ridiculous ratings over the past quarter or two quarters because of the Trump phenomenon and I think they know this and the way that media conducts its business is it it tries to follow which articles are going to get them the most um, clicks or the most views or get them the most advertising dollars and for that reason there's a uh, forget about left and right bias there's a clear bias to talk about Trump at yeah, all times sure and so this just feeds into the uh, uh, the cult of personality um, and on the other side like I think Trump really likes uh, to bash the media as much as he really likes to read it like I mean, and so there's a both so there's a very conflicted um, sense of of his relationship with the media but it is very much a two institutions that really need each other um, and uh, And I just see this cycling upward, right? Like, I think there's no reason for the media to walk away and say, like, okay, we're just not going to report Trump. There's just too much money in reporting Trump at all times. Um, And at the same time, I think Trump knows that he wants to go the media as much as possible. Yeah. Um, uh, Before we leave the topic, there was actually a a nice... I think it's Chuck Scarborough who did, like, a nice, like, maybe two- or three-minute bit about um, how the timing of... Trump's fights with the media are um, such that it's very clear that he's trying to create a distraction yeah. um, from something else that's going wrong in his administration. So in in the last few weeks, it's always been Russia or Michael Flynn or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And literally, the Russian news starts to uh, as soon as the Russian news starts to peak, within a day or two, he starts to pick a fight with the media, and the media buys into this. And in one way, the media is being dumb, but I think also the media is following the money yeah. because this is something that they. I think that it's what they believe in, but also just reporting Trump being Trump, I think they just can't help themselves.
0: So do you want to talk about what didn't get reported and should have been
1: this? Uh? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, certainly there's a, a piece of news where uh, outside of uh, Kansas City, uh, uh, two Indians were shot uh, and then a, a bystander who tried to interfere uh, simply uh, by a man who... Um, uh, was angry that they were in his country uh, I think he effectively said get out of my country before shooting them. One of the Indians was killed they were um, uh, they were engineers for Garmin um, and uh, they actually had, they studied in the U.S. before working for Garmin um, and they were at a bar things got heated. The guy sh- shot and killed one of the Indians and uh, uh, injured one of his um, uh, one of his coworkers. and then some random stranger stepped in and I think was also shot but managed to uh at least disarm him or or at least chase him away um
0: so this is politically motivated violence with a, the goal of creating terror in a population <laughs> so terrorism you
1: made right thought. so it's not clear i would actually not draw that line oh, obviously yeah. so i i think it's uh, so, it, but it's clear to me that it falls in my understanding of what a hate crime is, sure. which it's not being p- prosecuted as. So, which is which struck me as very odd, and I don't know mm. why that's not true. It's being considered a quote unquote bias crime, but not <laughs> a hate crime. Um, so, I don't know why that is, uh, and so it may just be I don't understand enough about the legal definition of what a hate crime is, and we may just think of people from different nations as not it's okay to hate them. Um, but I've always, thought, I've always thought that hate crime legislation was always a little flaky anyway. Uh, and I was never a really big fan of hate crime legislation. But, but it is a really, yeah, it's just a horrible crime. Um, and it's very clearly uh, part and parcel with the uptick in nationalist rhetoric coming from the government, coming from uh, people on the right uh, who are in power um, and I expect to see more of this, and it's unfortunate, um, again, because it happens to immigrants, it happens to foreigners.
0: As a result of the circumstances of what happened, I have seen some news from Indian press calling for, you know, more outcry and more... Sure,
1: absolutely. You know. I, it's a, and it is a big, prosperous contingency even in the country, um, you know. Uh, so, uh, and it can be well organized, so I don't, I don't know what kind of levers they can pull with the Trump administration. But. Can you
0: imagine, like... If the, I mean, just, like, three white guys in a bar getting shot by somebody saying, you know, by, like, I, let's say a Dominican guy saying, get out of my country. Yeah. Like, how that, that would make national news. Well, right, so, like, I th-
1: yeah, so, like, I think there's a different level of uh, sensitivity towards, sort of, just racism on the part of, of white people, um, uh, towards minorities, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's it's it's. And I don't want to broad uh, paint too broadly here because there was actually uh, yesterday or today a couple of people from um, they got really drunk and they rode up and down um, uh, their neighborhood with confederate flags and they were pointing guns at kids and stuff like that. But they
0: were effectively a birthday party, seven year old's birthday. Party.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they were they were prosecuted as terrorists. They're going to go away for thirty years, like yeah. two white people. we we'll so, see. I mean. They were, well, they were handed a sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I don't know what <laughs> sentence they'll serve. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to say that it doesn't happen, but I think that this administration is going to be loath to think about terrorism as being domestic, um, and uh, especially white domestic terrorism. Even though we've seen an uptick in that kind of crime and that kind of um,
0: activity. Uh, Well, should we move on to doubling down in defeat?
1: Yeah, so this is doubling down on defeat, where we talk once again about the Democrats are making sure they never take over power ever again. Yeah, to
0: to let the balloon go. (laughs) Goodbye.
1: so i guess there are uh i I mean there are a couple of topics i wanted to talk about i don't know about you but so Mm -hmm. once again um there is a power vacuum in the democratic party there is no shadow cabinet which is something we keep pushing for um and so it's really hard to have a single source of messaging like immigration for example what is the democratic party's policy or take on it because what has happened is that the republicans have started largely said this is what we're going to do and they've stuck to it it's a terrible policy, but the Democrats aren't saying like, this is a terrible policy, this is what you should actually do, because the Democrats have largely lined up, especially over the eight years of Obama, a reasonable compromise of a policy. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's... and instead rather than pointing out to you, okay, well, this is what we believe, this is where we think immigration should go... Um, they've largely taken over uh, a reactive policy In a re- reactive tone that says this is wrong, this is wrong. Sure. I mean,
0: I want totally open borders and one world currency. <laughs> but I respect that other people on the left do not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I think so, as a party, though, as yeah. a Democratic party, I think they outlining, okay, well, this is
0: actually what we did. This was
1: a reasonably good piece of policy. Um, and I think what has been clear is that voters don't necessarily know what the Democratic policy is. Also a relative thousands.
0: also relative leaderlessness isn't helping. helping. No I mean Bernie Sanders does not care about immigration. There no. are very few immigrants in Vermont. Right. He, he cares about health care, which, you know, I'm sure he feels would be much easier to pass if there were fewer immigrants around to like to set right. like the right could demonize as far as taking these health and human services away from Yeah, so do you actually think Bernie Sanders is anti immigrant? I, I think it's a conversation he'd rather not have because he he benefits a lot from. The- yeah,
1: I think I think this is this is an issue that we agree on. That I think when you talk about moving towards uh, more left leaning economic policy, which means a lot more benefits, people get really really touchy about how they define who's within the country and who they let in the country and mm-hmm. who isn't. And it's hard to be a country that invites in immigrants that is open. Um, when you have a lot of benefits that go out to your citizens, so um, this goes hand in hand. You see this all the time in Europe, where people are really frustrated about relatively low levels of immigration because it's a generous welfare state and a generous um, social security net. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anyone who's pushing for a, a bigger welfare state is going to have a, oh, a tough time with immigrants. And so this is, I think, part of the bright
0: bard slash. Yeah, it's man, it's, it's just. Fucking stupid! Because to be able to afford these benefits, you need to increase your tax base. So you need, and we're not breeding. Yeah, I mean, we should be. Now, so we need more yeah, you know, people coming in all the time. It's
1: ironic that like the the generation that is old, that is uh, post, you know, fifty, that votes Republican, is trying to. Con- tail or trying to constrict immigration when they actually need young people to come in and add to the tax base just as they're aging in order to prop up things like Medicare. It's a a really terrible policy, and it's an interesting point that the left, at least the Bernie left, I think is is more ambivalent about immigration than I
0: think they let on. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish they could be shamed into taking it on because I think they'd be more effective at selling it than us like cynical, washed-up, like, liberals. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I think, again, like, the the party line isn't something that says immigration is a good thing for this country, because I think that they're too afraid to, in Mm -hmm. some ways. And that's a real shame.
0: Do you want to talk about the, uh... The donkey in the room The uh, DNC chair <laughs> race Yeah, I don't know how closely you followed that I followed it to the extent that I believe it merited Which was not closely and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah cheering through my lorgnette Yeah the, uh, the, uh, the, But, you know, it, it was a big deal The some um, yeah, do you, so
1: you brought this up, I think you brought it up in the last podcast, like, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, as as an Ellison
0: supporter, yes, I, I must confess that I am pleased with the decorum and gentility that the two candidates have shown coming together. All right. Uh, I believe that Tom Perez will... Take on a lot of the same goals as Keith Ellison would have, and I'm glad that he will not have to lose his congressional seat in order to do so. Do you think this splits
1: the party, though?
0: If people that are mad about this leave, mm-hmm. that will make black women more powerful in the Democratic Party, which is good for being able to pick somebody in the future who I believe will be more, you know, representative of core Democratic Party interests. Right, you're in a coalition because you're willing to compromise, and I think,
1: I think there are a lot of people who looked at Hillary Clinton and said, "Oh, I, that's, you know, that's that's a step too far. I can't make that kind of compromise." And I, we're just reaping, uh, I guess, the re, we're just reaping the consequences of not making those kind of more strategic decisions about, hey, this is, this is how we think about politics in a large. Electorate, right? Yeah. Uh, and there are gonna have to be
0: compromises along the way. So And right now there's a lot of rhetoric, there's a lot of a lot of heated rhetoric. Yeah, a lot of feelings. Yeah. And I do like Tom Perez and Keith Ellison for that reason. They seem to be able to put rhetoric aside and talk about how we're going to move forward in order to find new leadership, find new candidates, get allocate funds. They seem like practical people. Yeah. And I think they will work well together and do a good job.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm as pleased as I could be it seems like the best case scenario
1: yeah I mean and again they're just many men anyway so it is
0: it is a technocrat position yeah you don't want your your Robespierre running it yeah we've probably said too much about (laughs) the T.C. Cherries
1: (laughs) yeah we've already wasted too much time Uh, All right. Uh, let's go on to outside the bubble yeah 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 Uh, so this is our part where we try to pull in sources that we're reading outside our liberal elite bubble Uh, there are a couple of things I wanted to talk about Um, so there was a there was an article in Politico I believe or the last week Um, it's called a uh, how Trump uh, split conservatives three ways. So it's uh, it's Politico is not outside the bubble in any way. I think it's very much a leftist kind of leading publication. But the guy who wrote for him, uh, he actually uh, he, he worked in the Bush administration. Um, so he comes, I think, from a particular faction of the Republican Party. But it's really important to think about the Republican Party being split and having coalitions. And mm-hmm. I think that's is one of the problems with the left is we tend not to think about Republican Party as also an organization that has to compromise and dance a little to the various for the various, or dance to the tunes called by the various factions yeah. of the Republican Party. We tend to think of them as monolithic. I think it's a really good kind of sketch about like what the rise of Trump actually did to the Republican Party and it didn't really split it asunder. And so if you thought about three or four factions that led the Republican Party um, in two thousand fifteen, historically, this would not be the same list. Um, so obviously you have Trumpians um, and you have ideological conservatives. Um, and Russian teenagers. <laughs> Russian teenagers. <laughs> right. So like, um, and then uh, yeah. So I, I think that are important. It's just important to kind of read the article and understand that the 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 Republican coalition has effectively been broken and then reconfigured in a way around different types of ideology. Um, and so and effectively, there's a third uh, third branch that's something like. Pro-business type of uh, or centrist kind of faction. So, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting article, and it is um, written by someone who cares about the uh, Republican Party from the inside. Um, and it's just always good to know how what the lay of the land is there. So, there's also a follow-up article which is a little different. Um, so, this is written again. This is actually written by an outside bubble source. It's the uh, American Enterprise Institute. Okay. I thought it was a pretty interesting read on. What the 2018 election could look like for the Democrats. And I don't think that the right got election prediction any more correct than the the left. If you looked at any of their forecasts, they were as off uh, about 2016 as the left was. Um, so I think it's not that the, their analysis is any better, but it's always interesting to think about what, what the other side is thinking about. For people who are tried and true Republicans, and again, the Trump administration is, uh, is a wing of the Republican Party, if, if that best. It's, it's part of the fringe of the Republican Party that's come to power. Um, but if you're a tried and true Republican, this is a real challenge to your set of central beliefs. Um, and uh, I think there's enough in the party that's worried about 2018 Backlash a la 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, and I, I don't know what they're going to do to try to quiet that down. Um, I actually think that if they were, if the Republican Party proper were in charge of 2000, uh, the 2016 White House, they would have smarter, more centrist policies. Um, but I don't think that's that is in the realm of possibility you know, Bannon, <laughs> Steve Miller,
0: Donald Trump White House. Something I want to talk about Two things I I, I edited a book This past week It's not out yet So It's called The Gospel of Self How Jesus Joined the GOP uh, By Terry He Which was about The uh, Rise Of Fox News uh, Out of Televangelism Uh. Uh, And it was It's by somebody Who worked for CBN uh, Which was Pat Robertson's uh, Television network Uh, He was the head producer there uh, for many years, up up through Pat Robertson's uh, run for presidency. And it's interesting, he outlines a case that Fox News and the the current news climate was all invented by televangelists. The the idea of of point-of-view-based news where you have a a group of people in suits and dresses uh, all sitting around... You know, thinking about what's happening, you know, from a certain ideological position, and then also in trying to like disseminate it to a, a army of true believers, uh, uh, it was all invented in by these people who are trying to make money, you know, off of, right, like, fleecing lambs, you know, right, and, yeah, it's absolutely. The same problem we have now, and it's the same, uh, and because of this, the, it was so effective and successful.
1: Right, I, yeah. Whenever we talk about that kind of bias or partisan. Media. I also want to point out that that's been true for mass media, for
0: forever, sure, for forever. sure, no question. But he he talked about more of the technical side uh, of things, just the way everything looked and the way the actual like, visual mechanics of televangelists like of oh, the Seven Hundred cool. Club filtered all the way up into Fox News and there, and then CNN took it on eventually. CNN, when it first started, used to be just like gray people, you know, like reading yeah. news and a monotone voice, right, like, right, right. kind of side. not yeah. true anymore. You know, now you have personalities. Uh, I couldn't have na- I couldn't name you a CNN anchor from the '90s. You know, there's right. plenty of people now who anchor their own shows, and it's all about the club of watching this one particular show, like right. the Seven Hundred Club. Uh, I find that interesting. And he said that because of this, transparency is the new objectivity. Uh, there's, it's not credible or possible for us to think of news as objective anymore. That ship is sailing, it's just how people don't think of other people's news as objective. Yeah. We don't crave that from our own news. In which case transparency becomes the new you know, the way that the news is gathered from primary sources, from in real time, quickly. You're seeing people process it without thinking about it or craft things. That has be is the new Objectivity, you trust things to make sense that they're authentic and sincere mm-hmm. and gathered in the same way that you would gather them.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's, this is actually why Trump works because yeah. he has the same kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He's transparent.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're totally transparent. You never see gears turning. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. You yeah. never see him. He, yeah. he speaks from the heart. You know? Yeah. Uh, in which case, I my my thought was Satanists need their own TV show. <laughs> they need the, they need to form. Uh, you know, they need to be televangelizing on New York TV. You know, informing the future of. You know, they need to be pushing things to.
1: You know, cause you are kind <laughs> of the Satanists.
0: I'm a fan of the Satanists. I think they. Yeah. I think they're an impossible effective. Board, you know, to, uh, and something else I was thinking about was after, as a result of the whole Milo on. TV thing, yeah. the Bill what? Yeah, it's the implosion of Marlo, Yiannopoulos. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking about how, why I wasn't really interested in him, or didn't care, or like, mm-hmm. it didn't seem all that new to me. It was, back in the 90s, there were KKK members on TV right. every day, yeah. as a result of what the reality TV events day, which was daytime talk shows. Right, And it was a whole format that I think the internet is co-opted, but it was every day you were people were you know being hauled out of you know the backwoods and made to sit in front of a studio audience who berated them yeah or you know who celebrated them yeah. but it was you know it was it would be milo next to like somebody dating their sister or like you yeah, know yeah, yeah. A, a satanist right yeah. like, like the scandal of the day you know yeah uh, lorraine Bobbitt bobbit or yeah. john bobbit next to each other holding hands or whatever it was it was just like a parade of endless bullshit that we all just learned to ignore right? all right and for, that all moved into the internet And kind of disappeared And most of TV became manicured And, and yeah. careful mm-hmm. And so we don't have immunities for that anymore So when somebody gets on TV now And says crazy shit People take notice In a way that I personally believe they shouldn't But because we don't have this like, space Of like direct contact with like crazy assholes Yeah Uh, And that leads me to a further point, which is who actually won the culture war for the left, I guess, which was Oprah, right? She she managed to take this energy and transition it into, like, positive, feel-good, like, you know, aspirational kind of humanist leftism that, like persisted and stayed, but maybe that was the wrong, maybe we have to go all the way back to the source, we need to like have yeah, people throwing, hitting each other with folding chairs again, maybe we don't need like decorum, we need the opposite of that in order to pop some of this like bubble of frenzied insanity
1: yeah absolutely, I- okay alright
0: uh, and that led me to I guess like, so it's like why isn't that happening you know, why and you know wh- where are we now what is the what is the actual like agenda of the right as far as a culture war goes yeah. and the only thing I can settle on that seems like pervasive and all encompassing is that it's war on nerds <laughs> alright <laughs> any kind of nerd like whether you're a writing nerd or a science nerd or like a politics nerd right it's just swirlies for nerds
1: right well you saw that I I think you saw that uh, in in England during the Brexit uh, vote um, that that people really and one of the talking points was that people don't believe in the experts anymore yeah like the ex, and so and this is sort of a war on nerds but So, if they ever did, what does that mean? That like people, all of a sudden, expertise doesn't matter. I don't know. Um, I don't know what that really means. I've always hated technocrat
0: anyway, so. I think nerds from all spectrums and all walks of life can come together to...
1: But as you point We're not really that good In a fist fight Being nerds
0: <laughs> I mean we're younger though They're not either They're like 70 And non heart meds, you That's, know? that's true like, We won't be We won't be fighting jocks We're <laughs> just fighting olds It's nerds v. olds the battle Of <laughs> the, the American soul, soul. Uh, The new culture
1: war <laughs> Alright Do you want to go on To random shit Which I guess we've decided Is Harry Potter Harry Potter uh, and I, Actually Now that I think about it I've, I've, I wanted to talk to you About this anyway Just yeah. because It's where we uh, got the name of our podcast from and we throw around uh, possible titles. Uh, It is something you turn to immediately in the wake of the election, Harry Potter. Yeah. And I myself have been reading it. You're a writer. What do you like about it? It's obviously a children's
0: book, but you still seem drawn to it. Oh, I think it's a a G. The writing is you know, good. It's fair to Midland, as we'd say down south. Yeah. But uh, the plotting of it. Yeah. As it works through the whole story, yeah, till the final book, I think is masterful and genius. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful, very impressive story machine, and I've, I've learned a lot from it myself. I think many people have, and just the the way that characters are teased out and who the heroes end up being, uh, I think is I think it's a beautiful old story. I think it it runs counter to a lot of mythology, even though there is this like. You know, central Christ figure, right? But at the margins, yeah, uh, are the more interesting. Yeah, uh, you have S- you have Snape and yeah. Hermione and Neville Longbottom, yeah, who elicited at least for me a far stronger emotional reaction than Harry Potter did, right? And I think I think that's an extremely hard thing to do. It's easy to focus on one character and make them your you know. The character, yeah,
1: that you you want to happen, everything good to happen, everything good to happen to. Going back and reading them, I um, I realized like, I mean, the first two or three books feel a little like, okay, well, this is this is well within the genre of like fantasy fiction for kids, but somewhere around I think book three or book four, it really turns for me. Like, there's a there's a really death, not a major character's death, but it was really really painful actually when you read about it and like the father mourning over his son and. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I think there's something really uh, really beautiful within this kind of... uh, I think well-plotted, but also just this beautiful kind of tale um, within this kind of very straightforward kind of fantasy escapist uh, genre.
0: And I think one of the reasons I was drawn to it after the election was it's the rise of this villain that makes everybody uh, tap into the best parts of themselves and come together in a way that gives them more meaning than they might otherwise have had with a, a normal prosaic wizarding life you know? <laughs> Right, right, right. regular <laughs> old wizards it's certainly tragic and horrible but you know i wanted to find some kind of meaning in the world we were going to be looking at now that there's meaning in everything no matter how awful it is or how Terrible things seem, you know. There's still an opportunity to embrace the divide and confront yourself, you know, in a way that makes you better or teaches you something.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I mean, there are a number of themes that I, I kind of rediscovered as I as I reread Harry Potter. But you know, I wanted to ask you this because you're a writer, but. So, what is the deal with
0: food? <laughs> <laughs> in Harry Potter, because she, she spends a lot of time... Oh, yeah, that's every fantasy t- series, you know. Uh, but
1: we don't grow up in a, an era of starving. Like, I don't understand... Yeah, that. Uh and just talks a lot about food. I wonder if she spent some time
0: being hungry herself. I, some yeah, of the, some of our greatest like fantasy tropes are just fantasy food. Yeah, Georgia, you know the George R. R. Martin books—they're always eating eel pie and like. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, did you ever read the Redwall books? I did not. That's they, just—it's about like mice, you know, like okay. in this abbey defending against like invasion from. Mm-hmm. Pirate rats. Okay. But anyway, the, uh, the descriptions of food and feasts and redwall have always stuck with me as something okay. like. Uh, I, you, know, Gor- you ever read the Gorman Gas books? I did not read the Gorman Gas yeah, books. It's similar to the two. There's like okay. a real like obsession with how food is made and like. Ah, uh, interesting. I I, I I don't know. I, I think it's just like a fantasy trope. Like if you're okay. gonna have magic, you're gonna have to have like food. magical food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's soul food, you know. I, I think I think it's like a a huge. Uh, uh, the thing to learn from that book is, like, you know, make sure you know people are eating. It makes them real if they are hungry and they need to eat. Uh, one, one of the things that makes Voldemort, I guess, so horrifying is that he feeds off of people, you know? Mm-hmm. He's not drinking butterbeer, he's drinking, like, human souls. But
1: you wanted to ask me about whether what house I think I was... Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, I was curious about like what house you would sort yourself into, yeah. or what house do you fear you would be sorted into? And how would you And so you sort yourself into A Ravenclaw Absolutely Like there's no I I, Yeah I, I definitely empathize With the The pursuit of knowledge For it's own sake You know I, I don't necessarily Believe that people are good Okay uh, Or evil Or knowledge is good Or evil But I do think that uh, Strong magic is interesting <laughs> Are there Well how about you have What's your answer
1: I mean I, I would probably be somewhere between uh somewhere between Hufflepuff and uh, and and Gryffindor. I
0: okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess I, I am too decisive. Yeah. To like be more, like I am just a decisive person. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, like yeah. I think that's more Gryffindor than anything else. I'm not yeah. evil enough uh, to be Slytherin. Like yeah, I don't yeah. think I was amoral enough. But like Salt of the earth, mind your own business is basically where I come from. Yeah. So, like, if, if houses were I hereditary. I don't see you as a Hufflepuff. I think you might be a Gryffindor, sir. <laughs> well, if houses were hereditary, I'd be a Hufflepuff. Because I just I come oh, from. It's, you have yeah. a Hufflepuff family? Yeah, I just have a Hufflepuff family. <laughs> okay, like, we're just okay. very, like, generations of poor farmers, right? Yeah, like, I have a like,
0: Slytherin family. <laughs> so, working yes, my do. way to Ravenclaw <laughs> is like, a huge Yeah, it really is. um <laughs> Uh, should we talk about I guess the Room of Requirement? Sure, the Room of Requirement,
1: where we get our name. Yeah. So uh, this was your suggestion, actually. Yeah. So Book Five, they come up with the Room of Requirement. Yeah,
0: and it's a room where uh, it can be, it becomes anything you need at the time. But they specifically use it to practice their, I guess, like spells. Uh, in because they're not allowed to in the greater school. Yeah, Umbridge is taken over, and so. On.
1: Yeah and it, it's it's a place where they meet yeah. to form this would be army um, to practice to practice defending themselves yeah, it's, to it's, practice it's dark arts. Uh, and to sort of wage this war against um, the proxies of Voldemort and whatnot. But the
0: interesting thing about it isn't that it is a revolutionary act what they're doing they just want to have school right everybody signs up cuz they're not getting an education from their you know actual class right their class has been taken over by
1: yeah exactly so like they so it it is a way it it is a room of uh learning to defend yourself or learning um but also learning to learn yeah and 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 it also builds a sort of community around it um which i think is a great way to think about our podcast right yeah i hope so and read into that what you
0: will Well, I guess that brings us to the end of another Room of Requirements. Yeah,
1: this has been episode nine. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you can uh, check out our subreddit on uh, Reddit where we try to post links as much as possible. We also have a Facebook page, whatever that's worth, and we have a Twitter account now. It's Room of Rec. It's at R O O M O R E Q Podcast.
0: Oh, okay. rumo <laughs> Rumo-wreck. <Rumo-wreck-a-pie. laughs> It's what well, letters available. To me. <laughs> Apologies. No, no, that's
1: awesome. Um, so it's more of a, a like a like a, a feed of like New sources and stuff that I, that I'm reading at any given time. So um, yeah, join us and uh, we are more than willing to. We welcome uh, feedback and if people have uh, ideas or uh, arguments, uh, we love
0: them. Yeah, yeah. thank you guys. Uh, And once again, thanks to Kevin Carter for our theme music.